We're standing at the corner of Wall Street and Main Street. This is the Wall and Main podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Blake from Kingswood, U.S. Last week, we had the first part of our two-part series with the reformed broker, Josh Brown. Without further ado, let's get on to part two. You know, it's interesting because I remember Steve Jobs uh, saying something to the effect of, you know, if you want your children to be successful, they need to be artists because we're going to have all of the technology and all the science figured out. They'll need to figure out how to package it or present it in a way that is interesting and exciting to the consumer or, or to the user. And it sounds like what you're saying is the future of finance is essentially going to be social workers. <laughs> I mean, well, and I, I, I mean, don't disagree. You, listen, Are those you the think, skills that'll be more important in the future? If you if you think financial advice is a numbers business, you you lose. You failed. Asset management might be a numbers business, right? Uh, like, I'm not saying it's like anti math, and we're and we're all doing like, uh, you know, and and we're all doing like um, a drum circle. But I'm making the point that like in so, so software eating the world, whatever, but like what software is really doing, again, it's taking a lot of the calculation stuff. It's taking a lot of the, the guesswork. It's taking a lot of the um, forecasting like that. That's a that's a you need a, you need an intelligent, capable, um, mathematically inclined person to build that stuff and learn how to utilize it. But that's table stakes. Everybody has access to, you know, everyone has access to performance reporting and fund selection screeners. And that's, that's, everybody has that. So what is the thing that you can have above and beyond that that sets you apart and really makes it so that someone who's wealthy or someone who is on the way toward being wealthy and has real life concerns about are they going to be okay? Will they be able to do the things that are important to them? What happens if this goes on with my career? What happens if somebody gets sick? Like you need a, you need a relationship with that person. Um, and you need, so, so that's why it's like, uh, you know, what's your, what's your tech stack? I hear advisors like, what's your tech stack? I'm never impressed by anything I hear. Yeah, we have it. We have a tech tech stack too. Big deal. You use black diamond. I use this. This one uses that. Forget it. The client doesn't, the client doesn't give a shit about any of that. The client wants to feel as though they're working with somebody who gets them and who cares about the outcome and who will be there no matter what, and who can answer like real life questions and help them adapt as things happen. Like that is, that is the service that we're providing. So if we want to pejoratively refer to it as social work, that's okay with me. I don't care. But the way I think about it is um, the technology will always get commoditized. Nobody is going to have, nobody's going to have a platform that's like so much better than anyone else's that it just like wins them business. It's just not how it works. Right. And, and, you know, I, I know this may seem uh, like a, a slightly myopic conversation, but it's going up on advisorpedia. And I know the listeners are going to be so appreciative of this insight you know, let's kind of talk about that a little bit. If I'm an advisor trying to make his way in this new version of, of, of wealth management that's uh, significantly automated and standardized and homogenized, how do I step myself apart? How do I, how do I acquire clients in this environment where 
you know, every operation is so remarkably similar. Just do a podcast. <laughs> no, I, I'll go back to, I'm going to reference Michael Kitsis again. He has been evangelizing the idea of building a, a niche for yourself and identifying a very specific group of people to whom you can become that niche's resident expert. And, you know, I think a lot of advice, look, I, I know most of the financial advisors who are doing content and I think a lot of them start out with the premise of like, I'm going to go viral and be like this, this nationwide industry wide phenom. And I'm going to build this huge audience. And I, I could promise you as someone who's actually done that, you, it's the odds of being able to do that. And the amount of lucky things that have to go right are so substantial that it's just not a good thing to put effort into. What if instead you said to yourself, I am identifying this need, um, in, you know, I know someone that works in the medical community in my city and I'm helping, I'm helping that person with their finances. And I'm learning a lot in the process about the challenges of being a medical professional. And as a result of everything I've learned from taking care of this one client, I'm going to turn that expertise outward and start talking to other medical professionals in my area and sooner or later, if I do a great job and the client or clients appreciate how well-versed I am in their situation, the word is going to get out that, oh, hey, you're also a doctor. I, I have a great financial advisor. He or she specializes in working with doctors and nurses or hospital administrators or whatever. Like there are a million examples of what I'm saying. And again, this is a, originally a Kitsi's insight. But I, in my travels, and I go to, not, not recently, but <laughs> prior to the pandemic, I would go to events and I would meet advisors from all over the country. And it, it, like almost invariably, anytime I would meet an advisor who was really killing it, like a solo practitioner who had managed to raise $100 million in assets by themselves, or someone who started an RIA and built it to a billion dollars, like real success stories, you peel back the layers of how they got there, and, and it almost always started out with some kernel of what I'm talking about. They identified this specific type of client. They became experts at serving that type of client. The word spread, and that is how they built it. The alternative, trying to be louder than Morgan Stanley or <laughs> like, like trying to outgun uh, uh Ron Carson, you, you know, on a national, you're just not going to do it. So my advice, if you're an advisor in the modern era and you really want to build something, um, don't, don't think big, think, think, uh, focused, think concentrated, and it will get big if you get good at that. So every advisor in every region has to think about what's around me. What are the wealthy people in my area have in common? Or what community can I reach online that I believe is underserved by the way mainstream uh, wealth management works? Like, like, how can I make myself really useful to a specific group of people? Now, I would start with a group of people that have money. It's just easier that way. Um, but I want to give you a couple of examples. Uh, I met the founders of a firm called Brooklyn Fi, like as in SoFi, like Brooklyn Financial or whatever. Um, it's, it's basically a pair of friends, uh, a man and a woman, 
and they had met over a shared interest in finance and got the CFP and, uh, but they also are very involved in the music community and they're like Brooklyn hipsters. They're like two of the coolest people I've met in the business. And there was this startup boom that took place, um, mostly on the West coast in California, but then there was this whole contingent in New York of young tech workers who were being issued millions and millions of dollars worth of stock in New York based startup companies. And a lot of them happen to have lived in Williamsburg and, and the Heights and all of these trendy neighborhoods in, in Brooklyn. Brooklyn Phi basically got to a billion dollars in like three years, catering specifically to the employees and founders of New York-based startups in the midst of this massive boom in, in startup funding. It's an incredible story. And they are so perfectly well-suited to that market and they have it on lock. Everybody in that community knows them and they're going to go on. I predict they're going to go on to be very successful. Um, so that's one example. They identified this niche. They lived among the people in the niche and they figured out how to answer the specific questions that that group of people need answered. I mean, I could do like five more examples of this, but I think you guys get no, it's a, it's a great point. And, and I think, you know, in the era of commoditization, specialization wins, right? Find something so specific, too. you do very well, and the market will be yours. Uh, and, you know, with the wealth transfer that we're anticipating, uh, this generational transfer of between 30 and I've heard as much as $60 trillion, you know, there's plenty of opportunity out there for this new class of advisors. And perfect segue, new class of advisors. One of the reasons I think we chose this topic for this conversation, our producer uh, for the Wall and Main podcast recently attended something called uh, Future Proof out in California. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the idea behind Future Proof? And then I'm going to come back with an interesting question. Uh, Future Proof is the brainchild of, uh, hang on one sec. Future Proof is the brainchild of myself, um, Michael Batnick, Ben Carlson at my firm, and two guys who we had met um, who were originally running the Inside ETFs conference, which they used to do in Florida every February. Um, so, so they had formed a new company during the pandemic, and they wanted to launch a first-of-its-kind event for the wealth management space. And we had done some work with them on previous events, much smaller events. And they basically came to us and said, we want to bring you guys into the fold and we want to have you guys help us create this one of a kind experience. And th what they figured out, what, what they figured out, uh, this is Matt and John at uh, Advisor Circle, our partners on Future Proof, was that... During the pandemic, look, a lot of the selling points for a lot of events, wealth management events, financial planner events, et cetera, a lot of the selling point was like, you have to earn CE credits, continuing education. So like the conference would be where you would earn those credits. You would do like a little bit of networking and whatever. During the pandemic, people realized I could just earn CE credits on the internet. Like just like we all realized I could see a doctor on the internet. I could... They're doing uh, legal cases in court on the internet. So like a lot of stuff that you used to travel for, you just no longer had to do. And the world changed. 
So the question was, well, how, how do you get people to get on a plane then to go to a, a wealth management event? And what we realized and what we figured out is the number one thing that people really want is to get away from their spouse. The number two thing that they really want, though, is, is community and networking. If they're going somewhere, it's got it's to be meaningful. There's got to be a personal interaction with your peers, hanging out, maybe having some drinks, maybe doing a beach workout at six in the morning, maybe doing a hike, maybe like, like, maybe like whatever. Like it's gotta, there's gotta be like, why would I go just to sit there and watch someone on a stage talk about ESG? I would rather kill myself. Right? So what am I really going to go somewhere for? You're really going to go somewhere because you're going to connect with people. So that was an obvious insight, but it really didn't become obvious to us until we lost the ability to do that. And then it's like, oh, that's what people will go to something for. So a lot of the content at financial planning events or financial advice events, you can get it online, like like sitting in a a ballroom in in a dingy hotel um, with, with terrible food. Like you don't need to get your content delivered that way. You can read, you can listen to podcasts, you can read books. Um, it's just not necessary. So we doubled down on the experience and we, and we really wanted to make the experience something so memorable that people would come away and say, yeah, I learned some stuff and yeah, I heard some new ideas, but the more important thing is I'm coming home more confident that I am going to be part of the future of the advisory business. I made contacts. I made new friends. Um, I picked up a few new tricks. I saw some tech demos. And I just I feel a part of this new wave of advisors. That is the feeling that Matt, John, myself, all of the staff at Advisor Circle, everyone at Ritholtz Wealth, that's what we wanted to give to our industry. And I think, I hope we achieved it. I mean, we'll if, if people come back next year, then I'll be able to say that we, we did. Yeah, I, I, I don't even think we have to, you know, pass fail it uh, at this point because the concept is so much bigger than uh, I'm sure you're, you know, you're a modest guy and you've sort of downplayed it. But the idea of, of this festival, as opposed to, you know, this, uh, this cattle call of product after product in exchange for, you know, a nice hotel and a few steak dinners. And as you mentioned, maybe a day or two away from uh, your significant other, this is definitely where the industry wants to go. Can we go there? Can we make it more of a collective left brain and right brain experience? And based on the conversation we've had, it sounds like those are the tools necessary to compete in this industry in the future. I, I think the consensus from from those that have um, have seen future proof and and have experienced it is that not only are you onto something, this is where everything is is inevitably going. But I will make one critique based on the feedback that we got from our producer, and he said, you know, the average age of the advisors there was in in their low thirties, right? I think thirty three, if I read it correctly, and he said. You know, it didn't exactly reassure him that this is the future of wealth management. What would you say to, 
you know, the old man shaking his cane and saying, get off my grass about the future of wealth management. No offense, Doug Hyken, and I'm just kidding. Tremendous producer of Advisorpedia. Because I would say, who cares? So what? <laughs> a little more. <laughs> well, no, I'm not offended. I'm not offended by it. But who- no, no. And I don't mean that. I'm just saying it, it's that it is the future, like it or not. How do we reassure that generation? I, I guess I don't. I don't. I don't understand what. I guess I don't understand what what is meant by they weren't re, they weren't reassured because the people were young. I, I guess I, I don't really understand. I think the so. It's almost like when you give your kid the keys to your car for the first time, and yeah. you just have that anxiety. It's it's that feeling. Do they know okay. the old timers? They inherited the knowledge of the previous generation of wealth managers. Maybe the old timers need to think back to when they were in their twenties and thirties. Were they, were they such like incredible advisors? No, they were schleps working at Merrill Lynch, selling uh, unit investment trusts and uh, flipping closed end fund IPOs after the penalty bid phase. And they weren't, they weren't, so, they weren't so fucking great. Like I, I think uh, every generation uh, does things slightly differently. I'm, I'm not 32. Guys, you know that, right? I'm a... I'm Gen X, so nobody cares what I think. Um, <laughs> so it's not an ageist thing. Uh, and by the way, look who spoke at the event. We we had Rick Edelman there. We had right. Jeff Gunlock there. These guys are these guys are not kids. So I think there's room for every generation to be heard. I don't want people to have the impression that because there was a lot of youthful energy and participation at the event that 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 should be interpreted as a rejection of older experienced advisors. It's, it's, it's nothing of the sort. It's nothing of the sort. Um, when you go to Lollapalooza, yeah, they have artists that most people my age have never heard of, but then they'll also put Metallica on stage as the headliner, a band that's been added for 40 years. And the young people there are rocking out to Metallica, but they're also there to see Lil Uzi Vert and it doesn't have to be either or. So we did not do a, an event that was meant to um, insult the older generation of advisors. I thought we were very welcoming and we put people of every age, of every race, of every category on the stage. And that's what I think, uh, my opinion, that's what I think a wealth management event should be. Now, uh, seven or eight years ago, I thought that we made a mistake in hindsight. We did an event called the Evidence-Based Investing Conference. And we, I think we did two of them. We did one in uh, Dana Point, California. We did one in New York. They were great events, but I don't, when I look back and I think about how narrow our theme was, like it was basically like, if you're not indexing, you're an idiot kind of thing. Right. And I think that was like the zeitgeist in that moment. It was like 2015, 2016. And like, it, you know, Vanguard was like becoming the biggest asset management firm in the country, followed by iShares. And we did something that I thought, in hindsight, was too exclusionary. We didn't allow for competing investment philosophies to come into the room and, and have their say. And I think we were maybe even a little bit arrogant uh, because our approach to investing happened to have been ascendant at that time. And alternatives and hedge funds and other stuff just really looked terrible. And so I think as a result, we put on an event that meant well. We had great speakers in New York. We had Jason Zweig and Cliff Asnes in, in California. 
Um, we had, you know, we had like, we had the guys, we had real and, and the gals, like the biggest names in asset management. But, um, I don't think I would do that again. So where I think future proof improves on that concept is we put a lot of people with diverging opinions. We had a panel where Jason Shu, who is, uh, building China, uh, equity strategy products debated Perth Toll, who built the emerging markets, ETF that excludes China and other countries that do not allow uh, freedom. And that was like a debate with two people on the opposite sides. It was civil. If you sat there and listened, you learned something from both sides and you got the chance to walk away and formulate an opinion. So I, I don't want people to think future proof is this thing where it's like, let's just get a bunch of young people on the beach and, um, and uh, exclude everybody. It, it was very much not like that. Right. And, and, and definitely uh, the impression that wealth management had of that event was, yes, th- this is where it needs to go. For that reason, it, it's not a north-south. You can move laterally. This, a conversation might break out and go in an entirely different direction. And we all want to be there for it. And it'll help evolve the species of, uh, of the financial I want to say one. I want to say one other thing that Matt and John um, brought that I think, I think were game-changing ideas. The first is the, the arts and the music and having it be about more than finance and to show that our industry has interests that transcend financial planning software. Um, we had live local artists from Southern California doing murals and all of the art direction and, and the look and the feel, all of that was done by artists, not by corporate operatives. And, and, and that came through. We, we had a hundred something speakers and every one of them had a portrait painted of them, uh, which then became their avatar uh, for the event. Um, shout out Tony Concept, uh, our, our resident artist who did that. We had uh, artists design skateboard decks. Like there was a lot going on that was not explicitly finance, but it was like culture. And then I think bringing in the musical acts and DJs and live bands, like you got, if you're at one of these events, you can't do nine hours straight of portfolio construction. It's, right. it's too much. It's mind no one, no, Nobody's paying attention to it anyway. They're on their phones. Right. How do you not know that? That's right. So, so I think, I think that, that was one really big thing that Matt and John did. And then the second thing, you know, you go to these conferences and there's a, a women in finance panel or there's a diversity and inclusion panel. And I'm so sick of that stuff. It's so like played out. We, we didn't have a diversity and inclusion panel. We didn't have a women in finance panel. We just made the whole event that. Like we very deliberately made sure that there wouldn't be any person from any group that would walk into this event and feel like it was made for someone else, but they got thrown a bone because we did like a diversity panel. The entire event was diverse. There were, I don't think there was a single panel on the main stage that didn't have um, people from all different ethnicities and backgrounds, um, men, women. Like we, we really leaned into it in a way that felt very organic. And as a result, for, I think for my generation, it was like really noticeable, like, wow, this doesn't look like any other financial event I've ever been to. But when you talk to advisors who were there in their 20s or 30s, they weren't impressed by that at all. And you know why? 
because that's what their real life experience looks like already. That's the demography in the country. Someone in their 20s who goes to a, a financial planning event like ours and on stage they see middle-aged white males, um, young, you know, uh, a young woman of, of Asian descent, African-Americans, uh, people from the Latinx community. Like they're not impressed by that. They're like, yeah, this is just the world now. This is my life. So I thought that that was really interesting where some of us on the older end of the spectrum had something to learn from the new generation, just in terms of expectations. So Matt and John, I think, uh, were responsible for those two very big innovations. And I think you'll see um, that be repeated or, or copied elsewhere in the industry. Um, and, and I hope so. We would take that as a form of flattery. Yeah, I, I really do see that as the future of finance. It's, it's where we don't have to uh, accommodate uh, certain ideas. They're yeah, already it's enough present. Of, right. That's yeah. right. It's an, it's a, it's now it's enough of that. Now is the time to just normalize the fact that the industry, the country, the demography is is changing. It's multi-ethnic. It's it's every race, every religion, um sexual preference, all all identities and let's not give them a panel. Let's just make the event reflective of that reality. All right. That's brilliantly said and you know, you asked me to challenge you on this uh, podcast, and I tried my best, but I did. There is what, not was, a what, pitch. what was I thinking? <laughs> There's not a pitch that you can't hit. I mean, <laughs> all right. Uh, if you've been living under a rock, under another rock, uh, that's under another rock, and you don't know who Josh Brown is, uh, how do our listeners learn more about Ritholtz Wealth Management and about uh, downtown Josh Brown? Um, I think the best way to learn about our firm is through our bloggers. So Ben Carlson, I think, is one of the finest um, investment writers of our generation. His blog is called The Wealth of Common Sense. You can subscribe to it. He's putting out three or four high-quality blog posts every week. Um, you could listen to our podcast, which is The Compound and Friends. Michael and I have a live show on YouTube every Tuesday night called What Are Your Thoughts? Um Michael's blog is called The Irrelevant Investor. Barry's blog is The Big Picture. If, uh, you know, if, you, if you're consuming our content in any way and you're already a fan or a reader, I just want to say thank you so much. We have always written up rather than – so what, what do I mean by that? By that? I know exactly. We have, oh, we have made yeah. the leap. We have made the leap that if we do high level, the audience will follow us. They will, they will level up to what we're saying. They will make the effort to understand it. So we never, uh, we never like look down and, and condescended or, um, or dumb things down or watered things down. And I think as a result of that, one of the biggest portions of our audience are other financial advisors. And, you know, people have been like, why are you creating content for other financial advisors? What do you get out of that? The answer is, I don't really know. But I've met amazing advisors all over the country as a result of our content. I get to go to these really great events and uh, I get to make new friends. And so I just want to, this audience, I'm assuming it's a lot of advisors. I just want to say thank you if you guys are feeling what we're doing, if we're inspiring you, if you've ever like written a nice review of our stuff or whatever. I, it's, so, it's so much appreciated by all of us at RWM. We don't think of ourselves as competitors to any of you. Um, we think the pie is big and growing and that we will all be better advisors if we learn from each other rather than uh, compete with each other. And 
Uh, that's our mentality, and I think that's the mentality of our fans uh, in the advisory industry. So I just wanted to take this chance to say thanks. Absolutely. And, and you know, I'll say that as a recipient of so much of your content uh, and, and the, really it's I'm insatiable for the, the stuff that you guys produce and a wealth of common sense is an incredible blog. Um, you, I do appreciate that you don't talk down, but you're so relatable uh, with with the way that you present this information that oh, it really you. sinks in. And I've watched you on uh, on financial media unbend narratives that were clearly trying to be forced on you and and just give the straight story in a way that the people really need to hear it and i, I just i don't know how you do it and you know i i know we're taking up thank, a lot of your thank, very precious thank you very time much today. i appreciate that thank you yeah it's it's incredible I, I don't know how you've become so good at this that the distance between you and and whoever the hell is number two is miles at this point and i'm not kissing your ass I'm from Amityville. You're from Merrick. We're, we're close on Long Island. The last thing yeah. I'd want to do is, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kiss your ass on a, on a podcast. But I do no, have no, to I, say you're, you're just I, in another league. I really appreciate I really appreciate hearing that. And the one thing I would say uh, uh, is that I have an amazing team around me, including research people um, in particular. Michael Batnick spent, you know, most of the last nine years writing some of the smartest uh, remarks that I've delivered. Um, he's been getting me prepared. I would mention Sean Russo on our research team. I get a lot out of working with Nick Majuli and Blair and Ben and Tony and Dina and all of our content creators. Like I'm not as smart as maybe I appear. Um, I, I am blessed though, being able to work with people that I learn a lot from every day. And I'm sure you could say the same thing. So, you know, Absolutely. that's, that's a really cool thing about being at a firm and not being alone. And, and, you know, your, your, your spotlight, your profile, you use it to push these people forward as well. And every person that you've named, uh, I've seen them multiple times through your channel. Yeah. And, and, and so I'm sure they appreciate that and, and they deserve uh, the shine that you're giving them there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, they'll, they'll I love can't thank that. you for being enough on the show yeah. today. I mean, this one was, was really circled on our calendar. We could not wait. And uh, naturally, as in every instance, seemingly, you did not fail to deliver. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the reform broker, Merrick Long Island's own downtown Josh Brown. Thanks Thank so much for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure.